Much of historical knowledge comes from the accidental survival of written documents. That means that history is half interpretation and half left to chance. So what happens when a culture's documents are destroyed? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to another episode of Footnoting History. I am your host, Leslie Skousen, and today I'd like to talk about the rich history of the Mayan culture of the region that makes up a part of modern-day Mexico, Guatemala, and Belize. The Mayan civilization occupied much of this region for about 1,500 years, or as many as 3,000 years, depending on how you measure the very early settlements that would later grow into the Maya people. The final groups came to an end by 1697, with the fall of the final city to hold out the Itza capital of Nojpeten. But the Maya civilization lost its power long before that, hastened by the arrival of the Spanish. The Maya are a fascinating culture to study and an important part of rounding out world history. Among other things, they understood and used the number zero, which was a controversial mathematical concept in Arabic numbers and downright blasphemous in Catholic medieval Europe. I mean, these are the people who discovered how to make chocolate. They harnessed the power of the jungle and built cities within it, bold, enormous buildings with pyramids, roads, palaces, and large-scale stone art settled within rainforests. Some of those pyramids are among the biggest in the world, joining Egypt and Cambodia for sheer size and complexity. Furthermore, they created a complicated and accurate calendar that plotted out human history for another half-dozen centuries, famously ending in 2012. Much of their calendar-keeping was related to religious beliefs, development of math, and fastidious tracking of astronomy so that they could accurately pinpoint the dates and times of religious elements, you know, such as the movement of the sun or the timing of an eclipse. And finally, they were one of five world religions to create unique writing systems. So why don't we have their written documents? More on that later. In Charles C. Mann's eminently readable book, 1491, he explores common misperceptions and more recent research to convey what life might have been like in the Americas the year before Columbus infamously set sail across the Atlantic. Only recently have we really begun to learn about the great Moshe people, whose stories were lost to time due to the highly unusual 30-year-long drought that was followed immediately by an unexpected 30-year-long flood season. Imagine the joy of the waters after having struggled through 30 years of dryness, only to have the waters rise and rise and rise for 30 more years. No wonder the Moshe people have lost everything, and we know very little about them. But their story illustrates a truth about all of human civilization and the study of history. So much of what we know about history is pure accident. It requires so much left to chance. The first thing you need is a person who has to remember to write the event down, for one. Then there has to be a reliable system for describing what happened as clearly and accurately as possible. Beyond that, the recording needs to be carved into a physical object that will carry printed words or images for thousands of years. 
Many ancient records have not survived simply because the papyrus or the wood pulp paper has disintegrated, leaving only vellum, which is paper made from animal skins, or other hardy pages to survive. Even once all those things are in place, the, the writer, the language, the, the object or paper, there is still more. The object itself might not survive. It could be lost during a move, or hidden in someone's attic, or washed away during a flood, or even lost to a sinking ship. Or the object might survive itself, but the language has not survived. Whole languages from the past are now gone forever. So even discovering a tablet might not allow us to read its words. Consider Linear A, a form of Greek that survives, but in insufficient forms for us to figure out what it actually says. For many great and celebrated peoples, very little remains for us to learn about them. The world's history has been pieced together on very few written documents. Textbooks, they speak with such authority, they make it sound like it's so clear, as though all of history is known and organized into neat little groups, and then ranked by importance. If it isn't there in the textbook, it didn't happen. But of course that's not the case. You'd never realize that it's all guesswork and a lot of luck. Instead, historians draw from enormous surviving cities, technology, myths, stories passed down by word of mouth, and even documents written by observers. In the case of the Maya, those documents come from the Spanish conquistadors. Those primary sources allow historians to piece together more about Mayan history and what was once a major civilization in human history. Those who are unfamiliar with the history of the Americas may assume that cultures without a lot of surviving documentation didn't really have much of a history. It's something that my own students tell me over and over again, portraying what they don't know as though past civilizations felt their own stories were not worth writing down. But history is so much more complicated than that. What makes or prevents stories from surviving to the present or into the future has a great deal to do with chance and sabotage than with anything else. Europe is a really good example of luck playing in your favor. Some of our most celebrated works began as verbal poems spread by wandering bards who would memorize them and tell them to different towns in exchange for lodgings, food, or money. The vast majority of these works have been lost to time because no one wrote them down in a form that survives. Some of the most famous were not only preserved by chance. Homer's Iliad, for example, probably just a combination of famous folk stories finally put to page because of a single outstanding verbal performance. Homer didn't just sit down and begin writing. In fact, he may not have existed. He could be an invented character, or perhaps just a single celebrated performer of oral stories. Which brings us more, again, to the enduring legacy of the Maya. Much of what we know about the Maya comes from their long-standing architecture, their cities, and their art. Visiting Mexico allows you to see such enormous buildings standing still today. But what is missing is that cultural context we might learn from existing written materials describing rituals, government, games, and other markers of civilization. We see the tremendous fields of the famous ball game, but we have nothing to tell us how it was played or what it meant. When the Spanish began to arrive, they built settlements throughout central Mexico and beyond. 
The actions came with a papal support, the Pope supporting their mission, which allowed the Spanish to mix a search for natural resources and riches with the mission of a higher purpose, saving the souls for God. The Catholic aspect of this imperialism cannot be underestimated. It was an incredible part of those missions. The Spanish conquest occurred during a centuries-long period of strong Catholic conflict, including the Inquisition and the Counter-Reformation. Just prior to sailing across the world, the Spanish kingdoms had finally united and beaten back a strong Muslim occupation from North African Moors that had lasted around 700 years. After their victory, those who stayed behind had to prove their Christian faith and heritage or be expelled and sent out of Spain. This strong focus on Christian ideology would soon inform much of the Spanish attitudes as they encountered new cultures, traditions, rituals, and religions in the so-called New World. The emphasis on believing the right brand of Christianity only intensified in the 1500s, with the growing Protestant Reformation and the Catholic Counter-Reformation occurring in Europe. These ideals played out with the cultural differences happening in the Americas. In some ways, the Catholicism matched really well with the long-standing traditions among the Mayan and other Mesoamerican cultures. There were prominent features of morality and community that placed a premium on blood, the blood and body of sacrificial people, through human sacrifice in some religions and through the symbolic eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood in others. Local Mayan people were fairly quick to convert, whether as a symbol of openness to the new European arrivals or as an easy adaptation of their own existing religious beliefs. At first, the Spaniards were pleased to see a pretty easy mass conversion. But soon they realized that the conversion was not complete. In secret, local communities continued to practice the traditional rituals, spells, magic, miracles, and sacrifice of both humans and animals persisted throughout the Spanish-occupied regions. This is where we meet Diego de Landa, 1524-1579. Born in Guadalajara, Spain, he followed the Franciscan tradition, eventually traveling to the Americas in order to minister to them and convert them to Catholicism. We know much about his feelings and attitudes towards the people of the Yucatan, in particular because of his own writings, some of which were private diaries and some were published, later, in memoirs. Lando was quick to order an inquisition among the people in the Yucatan so that he could root out true Christians against those who just cooperated for economic or social opportunities. He was particularly concerned with the practice of human sacrifice and the worship of idols. The clash of cultures between Spain and the Maya had many layers to it, including a pretty significant understanding. He was particularly concerned with the practice of human sacrifice and the worship of idols. The clash of cultures between Spain and the Maya had many layers to it, including a misunderstanding of the significance of each other's religions, ideas of, of magic and miracles, concepts of sacrifice and good works. Really, there were in some ways very similar religions. The Spanish power and technology gave them the upper hand in physical combat, which in turn allowed the Spanish to impose harsh penalties and punishments to enforce the adoption of Christianity. 
This was particularly true as Landa sought to wipe out any possible human sacrifice. Motivated by trying to save those sacrificial victims, he sought to locate any ritualistic sacrifice, free the victims whenever possible, and smash the idols and destroy the books that recorded the prayers and reasons for such sacrifices. Each book was called a codex, and a set, the codices. Eventually, Landa came to the conclusion and was determined to see it out. The only true way to strike out the continued practice of worship, prayers, and rituals of sacrifice was to destroy all evidence of them. This idea led to the collection of as many codices and cult images as could be found. Well over 5,000 codices were discovered and hauled to the center of town in the province of Mani. There, Landa commanded the help of all those present to build a large, building-sized bonfire. He then proceeded to burn 5,000 more objects, one after another, in an attempt to root out what he viewed as Satanism. On that day, so much was lost. The, the steps of the rituals, the meaning of important customs, the history of the Maya growth, the documented challenges facing the Mayan people, and the miracles that occurred after rituals had been performed correctly. History, culture, life. In addition to burning all evidence and records of religious ritual, he wanted to destroy any memory or familiarity with those things. Drawing from hundreds of years of inquisition, he began practicing an intense interrogation in which a person's arm would be bound by a rope that pulled their entire body in the air, eventually dislocating their shoulders. Under such excruciating pain, they would be asked over and over again to reveal the true nature of their faith. If they resisted, stones were added to their ankles to pull harder on their shoulders. At the same time, they were beaten and whipped. The torturer was intense and designed to eliminate any willingness to follow the Mayan old ways over the newer embrace of Christian beliefs. The hope was that the combination of force and burning of all records would essentially eliminate the ritual and beliefs from the cultural mindset of the Mayan people. A more realistic consequence of this torture was false confession. The longer people twirled in the air from ropes, digging into their skin and dislocating their shoulders, the more likely they were to confess to wild, exaggerated untruths. The use of torture on the Mayan people would later bring Diego de Landa to trial back in Spain, a similar fate which met Christopher Columbus, both for their criminal acts against the people that they found in the Americas. At Landa's trial, we learned so much more about the claims given under torture that never quite bore out in fact. Human sacrifice was indeed a part of the Maya religious rituals. Interestingly, such sacrificed victims were actually crucified before having their hearts cut out and eaten or burnt. Interesting to me because Spaniards viewed crucifixion as a holy death because of Jesus Christ. The morality of religious behavior, tradition, or ritual does not really interest me here. Uh, I'm, I'm a historian. I'm not here to judge the past or value one over another. For me, I'm more interested in the consequence of this religious conflict. As Diego de Landa saw evidence of sacrifice, he sought to gather as many cultural artifacts as possible and destroy them all. Such destruction feels sacrilegious to me. 
the loss of Mayan ideals, that loss of culture, the loss of history. It's something we cannot dismiss in the annals of history. A once great and long-lasting civilization that shaped the majority of the Americas, it grew quiet on that day when so many pieces of their cultural artifacts were destroyed. Indeed, today, only three codices remain intact, subject to endless study, as you can imagine, standing testament to what thousands and thousands of other records could have revealed. And there you have it, the story of conquest and the power of historical records. Which brings us to the modern day. Civilizations required three primary actors to ensure the long-term survival to future generations. First, someone to write those stories. Second, using a language that future generations will be able to read. And third, in a medium that survives time. And sadly, for our own time period today, we are not fulfilling those three elements. We record the majority of our modern records in coding languages and store them on hardware that becomes obsolete within decades, if not years. We have all had that moment of data loss, gone forever, due to some minor circuit error or we forgot to back up our laptops or something happened. Imagine that devastating loss on a global scale. Our cultural values are stored purely online. Losing the internet would mean losing most records of all. Imagine trying to access all human knowledge without access to the computer or understanding coding languages. The truth is, we're preparing for our own historical times to be a dark ages of lost information. Unless we take action soon, our stories will be lost forever due to chance. So perhaps this story will enable you to take the story of the Maya Codices and the destruction inflicted by the Spanish seriously for our own lives today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Footnoting History. I have been your host, Leslie, and let's all think about how we can document our times today for future generations. Interested in owning some Footnoting History merch? You can find out more through our shop link at www.footnotinghistory.com. Want to support the show and keep it open access? Our Patreon is at patreon.com forward slash footnoting underscore history. You can also follow us on Twitter at History Footnote or Facebook and Instagram as Footnoting History. And of course, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>